guys, welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. This is your host, Ekta. And today I have with me the founders of Skaggs Creative. It is a beautiful company and so innovative in the way that they do branding. So without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to Bradley and Yonina Skaggs. Welcome to the show, guys. I'm so excited you're here. And I would love to get started um, by learning all about how it you know, all began. So we're both trained architects and we met in architectural school. I'm originally from Germ uh, sorry, from Iceland, but I went to school in Germany. Yeah. And um, and my university had a exchange program with Bradley's university, so I did that. That's where we met. Fast forward we were both working as architects in Europe, and then uh, we decided to move back to, Amer- well, to San Francisco, where I did my master's degree, um, yeah. master's okay. of fine art, <clears throat> focusing on design and marketing. Um, and then uh, I would say we were lucky enough to be in a situation that we were approached by people, um, uh, one of them being NASA, actually. Wow. You should take over. Yeah, yeah so Bradley, we, if you could tell us more. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Yonina was, uh, <clears throat> was uh, doing her MFA, and I was working as an architect. And this is about the time when 3D modeling of buildings was becoming, was growing. Yeah. And I had I had been introduced to this this application and it was a Hungarian application called Archicad and when I was living in Europe and it was really ahead of its time because you could draw in 2D and it'd be actually drawing in 3D and it has amazing capabilities. Well, anyhow, fast forward, we're in San Francisco and they they have an office there and I get to know the guys and I bring it into the firm we're using and I was approached by a magazine called Architectural Record to take their their annual issue about their top six homes, which had always been a sort of virtual experience way back in the day of Macromedia director and ROMs and make it a web experience. So I did that. And in the process of that, I met these guys who, uh, two of them were scientists, another one was an architect and we, they wrote a grant and we got this grant to do this virtual tour of all 10 NASA facilities. Wow. It took about a year to do. And then more, two years. Yeah, maybe a year and a half, maybe. Yeah. Anyhow, oh, it gets wow. all done. There's all this work about security and about how you navigate. You can't really tell where you are in NASA and blah, blah, blah. Well, <clears throat> it's a month before it's supposed to launch. We send everything off to NASA. September 11th happens and it never sees the light of day. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. but, but the interesting thing about what this caused was uh, it was too much for me to still be an architect and try to do this. And Yonina had finished her MFA by this time and had all uh-huh. kinds of free work. And so she was doing print work in those days and I was doing digital stuff. And uh, that led to a colleague of hers from school getting a job at Microsoft and that becoming a one of our very first clients. Right. And uh, we ended up just, you know, kind of, working in a little studio apartment and like, we need to get a bigger space. We got an office and like, it kind of just happened. We suddenly were a firm, right? We had a little <laughs> design agency. Yeah. And the, and the best part is too, we were just learning as we were going because we didn't plan all this. All this stuff was emerging. All this you know, digital, we, right? Yeah. And uh, the plan was always 
to move back to Europe and <laughs> you know but that never happened because we got too busy in San Francisco and that led then uh, so we opened well officially opened with staff in 1999 yeah um, and then we got we went to New York to see a friend who was also an architect. We stayed in the architectural world for quite some time. And our first job, not only NASA and, and Microsoft, there was a lot of architects, architects and engineers and, engineers and, and construction yeah, companies like Vitra, wow. Miller, you know, all of that stuff, because they were really coming to us. The reason why we didn't even have to go after them is that they knew immediately that we understood the world that they were living in and especially mm -hmm. the contract furniture people yeah. and Bradley had been as an, working as an architect for 10 years so we knew exactly what architects were looking for well your work speaks for itself you know that's that's yeah. brilliant I love that yeah so to make so, a long story short we opened an office in New York in 2000 yeah, yeah. after like literally after coming here and three months later our friend said hey you know, our office mate moved out. Do you want to come to New York? And we were actually then at that time uh, going after Vitra and they really wanted to work with us. And they were like, not only you, not, we will not entertain it unless you have an office in New York. So we just said, okay, we will take that <laughs> space. Yeah. Um, which was like $1,200 a month back then on like, Spring Street, by the way. Yeah, and, oh, I can only imagine what yeah. it is now. Like, <laughs> oh my I find myself getting on a plane with a suitcase and an iMac and, <laughs> you know, blue one, I think it was, and uh, setting up shop in New York. And so we knew it was great because we, the contract furniture stuff was fun and it was cool. And, but it led us into hospitality and, oh, um, yeah. like major. and that got us into food. So we were doing all the national advertising for an organization called Meat and Livestock Australia. So it was all, the marketing for Australian lamb and beef in the U.S. Yeah. How did you guys transition so much? Like, I'm really, like, I, I'm sitting here thinking, like, it must be so hard from a branding perspective, like, you know, working with so many different areas um, and so many different industries. So how does that whole process work for you? Can you, you know, maybe, um, Bradley, you can start us off. Like, I'm just curious, like, the creative process is really what I'm referring to. Yeah. Well, I've always said, and I think you need to agree that like architecture is, a, is like probably the best design background you can you can have, whether yeah. or not you're an architect or not, because you you study everything from the urban scale down to the detail of a doorknob. Yeah. And the only thing close to that is probably industrial design, which maybe you'll be designing a car, or maybe aeronautical in a plane. But you know, architecture, you've got this range of of scale and you're also talking, you're dealing with psychology and sociology and all these other aspects of, of what space does and informs to a person, right? Right. So right. I don't know, I don't remember, remember back like it being difficult to kind of pivot between these because it was sort of a natural flow to us. It was like, to this day, we still look at anything we do like designing a building in many ways it starts with a strong foundation and then a structure yeah. and then you you get into sort of decorating which is the you know the color and all that sort of stuff but yeah I, I don't know, right? yeah I, totally and and we I, I think how we also because we think 
um, with our training, we never think about trends. So yeah. we really dive deep into what the client is looking for. Like, for example, when we meet in Livestock Australia, I did not, I tell you, I <laughs> had not had meat in 16 years <laughs> oh when we landed God. the account. <laughs> and I made myself um, eat lamb. And yeah, you I, made yourself eat it. Okay. Yes, I wanted to taste it. You know, yeah. I needed to taste it. And, and of course, it and, wasn't uh, as good as Icelandic lamb. But, and, uh, <laughs> but I was bloated for a week. <laughs> oh no, you're still, yeah, yeah. But you uh, got into character but, rather. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. the thing is, and like, I don't know. It's uh, I guess we're just curious enough, both Bradley and I. I yeah. mean. When we started to get into beauty, Bradley was <laughs> suddenly really into fragrances. And then uh, suddenly I saw him with like black polish, <laughs> nail polish. <laughs> Bradley was also getting into and, her. And, <laughs> you know. A retro move back to the 80s, right? <laughs> hey, but you know, um, I, I was up with 90 kid. I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, to, to answer your question about process, I think it's just... Yanina was talking about it a little bit too, but it's, it's, we tried to be consciously style agnostic and really focus on what the brand is about and bringing yeah. out that, I hate it when they call it the DNA, but yeah, you know, that sort of essence of what the brand's about and, and making out the thing that, that is important. And right. Again, and you but, know, I have, I have so many questions, honestly, Yanina and Bradley, because I, I don't understand um, why we don't focus more on like the branding aspect of all of the amazing products we love, right? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest, yes, you know, you know, speaking strictly in the beauty space and the skincare space, mm -hmm. you know, for the sake of the podcast, I can say that there are so many companies that they sell out based on their branding, you know, yeah. based off of things like packaging, based off things of, like how mm -hmm. they make their consumers feel. And that's not necessarily coming from the founders, you know, it's coming from from individuals that are, you know, truly professionals and like you said, designs just yourselves, you know? So I, I wonder about that, you know, in terms of like, how does that feel for you when you, when you design for a brand and then you just see them like, you know, do really well or do, I mean, how does that whole feeling, like, how is that um, overall? I think there's, there's, it's the difference between the short game and the long game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it becomes pretty apparent. I mean, it, how can you not just think like you read about the unicorn brands and this overnight success and it, you know, it happened in the dot com, like somebody launches a website and next thing you know, they're a million dollar, you know, million millionaire and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I think the truth is that all of it, like anything requires time and the brands that are serious are the ones who invest the time and they realize it's a long term commitment. They take yeah. it step by step and they, try to avoid trends and they don't just suddenly try to kiss every millennial's ass and yeah you know, it, they look at they they look at the data now because there's so much of it and they analyze and they reflect and they move forward and i just yeah. think a lot of brands like they come in the door all the time they've got a maybe a great idea but they they have no concept of what it takes to do it and they think it's going to happen really quickly they don't want to spend any money on it and yeah 
you know, just look at the skincare industry. It's full of like sort of half-baked brands. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. There's so like, much like everybody's same base formula and adding their own little special sauce to it. And same with hair care. Same with yeah, cosmetics. Cosmetics, everything. It's all like that. But there are a few that <clears throat> we really admire and have really sort of put a stick in the ground, if I would say. And yeah, you know, one of them definitely is Charlotte Tilbury that we worked with when she was just starting out and oh, you know, I love was, Charlotte. I love yeah, Charlotte. She yeah. really, she was 35 people when we started working with her. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they were all cramped in a small little room and, um, but she just stuck with her guts, you know, was she opinionated? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, but she had a vision. She had a vision and she was not doing any trendy stuff. It was all her and her vision yeah, and also her knowledge, right? Yeah, she, she'd been a makeup artist forever, and she yeah, and all of that comes up. And she you know, I have a what, question. I have a question yeah. though, Yonina, for you as a woman, because I know that you know the cosmetic industry and the beauty industry is very much geared towards selling products to women, obviously, right? And it's like when it comes to trends, I love the point that you brought up. Um, you know, in terms of you guys don't really like following trends, and I, I you know, I would like to challenge that by saying that i think you know individuals like you are the ones that create the trends because when you really create something unique um it becomes a trend you know what i mean if if you follow what i'm saying so like um i have a question for for you specifically because as a woman like you know where do you see this industry going because right now i'm not gonna lie every time i look at a new brand it's like for example you mentioned charlotte a lot of brands are copying her like packaging or like, you know, the Mm -hmm. feel of it. And it's just like redundancy over and over again. So what do you think, you know, where do you think we're headed in terms of like the beauty industry and, and targeting women and you know what I mean? Like female consumers. Yeah. Well, I think where we're headed honestly is uh, more gender neutral. Yeah. That's definitely going to happen, whether it's nail polish color cosmetic or even uh, concealers, whatever it is. But the, the thing is, me personally, I don't use half of the stuff because <laughs> it's, it's all I feel, um, I mean, except for Charlotte, you, you just have to try it on and you yeah. know right away that this is a good formulation or not. You just yes. know it. I will say, though, to Morphe's... Um, you know, benefit or whatever, their formulation is not bad, but it's all, you know, I would say it's, it's, I mean, it is what it is for 30 bucks. You get a 30 palette, um, you know, color, what do you call it? Yeah. I, like a, yeah, like the eye palette things. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. yeah. So, you, but for that price, they're doing a really good job. Um, I would say, though, the best quality I still know of is probably Charlotte Tilbury. I mean, her lipstick burns just insane. Uh, I will, because she formulates most of it in Italy, actually all of it. uh, Yeah. And um, And her skincare in Switzerland. Skincare in Switzerland. But I, I don't think, personally, I think she should just stay out of skincare. And focus on uh, what she does best. I mean, concealers, yeah. Um, in terms of uh, skincare, I would say 
the best skincare that I would recommend is just read the labels of the ingredients are more than 10 don't use it and actually we have worked with a skincare brand that has only seven ingredients oh it's which one is that uh bio effect they're oh. out of Iceland and uh amazing they are absolutely amazing even the dermatologists that we work with they recommend that product but it's it's hard to understand i think for the consumer what it does because they're not very good about communicating that. Right. We tried to help them, but then they didn't listen to us. That was <laughs> kind of sad. Um, yeah. So, well, I mean, how does that, how do you right. handle that though, Yanina? How do you handle like when you, like when you know, you know, this is what it's going to take to take this brand to the next level? Like, how do you guys like deal with that if a brand's just not willing to listen do you just say okay screw it or like you still try we did try but then at the end we always try we always try but here's what i want to say where the industry is going definitely cleaner products less ingredients less less packaging packaging for sure we're doing a lot of uh repackaging for brands Mm -hmm. that you know they Everybody is trying to get into the sustainability um, cycle, um, which means not recycling. Recycling should just not exist. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, but here's the thing. I think that's also getting redundant, if I'm honest with you guys. Like, I think, you know, the more and more I see skincare in the space, like, I am starting to feel like it's becoming this formula of, like, check this box and check this box yeah. and you know are you sustainable are you clean are you dermatologist tested and here's my biggest question especially you know from your perspectives is if i for example if i came out with a skincare line today my skincare line would not focus on sustainability i can honestly tell you it would not focus on all this other hype and all these things that everyone's focusing on i would on only focus on data and that's where my question is, is because everyone wa- talks about how these companies have so much data and, you know, they've done the consumer testing and, you know, 99% of people who use the serum said they loved it. Okay. Where's the actual, like, how do th- those numbers play into branding? Like, how do you, how do you combine actual scientific data and then create that as the, like the story of a brand, you know, like, that's what I'm really curious about. Well, I think it's, <clears throat> I think you got to look at the, well, how to say it, define the data because there is, there's, there's the research data, which, you know, you can, it is what it is. I suppose you can kind of trust it, but I think the real data is about efficacy and the technology and what it really does. And, you know, those are the brands that are the, that are the, for me personally, I think Yonina too are the Mm. fun ones to work on because it's about the science and Mm, yeah. And that's where you get real. Um, yeah, there's, there's, you know, I, somebody came in the office today with these fragrances, and they're doing, they were, they're doing <laughs> great business. They have a great, great business, but they were awful. They were just terrible. And yeah, and it's just because you know there's a there's a section of people out there who like this, and there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you like, but it's not prestige fragrance. And right, right. I think skincare and everything else is the same thing. You can buy some really good 
drugstore brands that are maybe good at one particular thing, but I don't think that you can build a whole regimen out of that. On the other hand, you've got some brands that are like so science focused that nobody can understand what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> and, then it gets, and, then it gets, and then you go the other way, right? It gets scary because like, you know, using stem cells in there. No, it's not stem cells, right? It's yeah. So to answer your question, it's about filtering all of that and conveying the story about what the brand is, what they stand for and what these ingredients do and why and how, and yeah. just, and then obviously showing the proof of it. So. Yeah. The building, the understanding. I mean, I imagine that also goes into branding, right? Like, yeah. The, cause yeah. I and mean, I that's very right. interesting. I think you could build a skincare line based on the data. You know, yeah. people want certain things. Great. You could do that product. I think we're also seeing a bit of a trend now of brands that want to do multiple products, but across categories. Yeah. In other words, trying not to just dominate one category. They want to do, you know, the best, uh, maybe hair oil, and then they want to do the best uh, serum, serum, and they want to do, you know, they want to do some kind of nail product because it's, and then what they're all coming from is a need that they, that they have. And those are always the best products, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're, I I think you're really hitting a good point is that this, you know, a lot of companies are, they they spread their, you know, they spread their sites, you know, very far. And I, I understand like from a business perspective, how that's important, but, you know, kind of going back to Yonina's, you know, point about Morphe, for example, you know, there's a lot of brands now, like I can tell you, like, for example, I have a friend, she owns a very small business, Billy Beauty and her eyeshadows. I kid you not, Yonina, they're so fantastic. Like the formula. Yeah. Like I'm going to have to like get you some because I like, it's what you said about Charlotte, how it's like things just when it's good, it's good. Right. And that's like, when I first tried uh, her brand, Billy Beauty, I was like blown away. And I remember messaging her and being like, do you realize like how great your formula is? And do you realize how good your product is? And she's like, (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. But it's like, you know, also going back to like, you know, just the idea of this branding and the trend setting thing is like, I wish those brands would come up and I wish larger companies would stop spreading their, you know what I mean? Like their rings so far yeah. that you're creating a monopoly over and over again, you know? Yeah. And the, and the problem is now is that these big brands now want to be part of, here's a little bit of an issue that I want to just mention is that yeah. everybody is running now towards the sustainability you know thing and everybody's trying to do their best the problem is is that the supplier has not caught up to it yet so meaning if if you want to um order not recycle i hate the word recycle but sustainable packaging you have to order at least 10,000 of them, if not even more. So Mm -hmm. a a small indie brand cannot afford that. They usually like to do 5,000 sort of or less, 2,500, but that's not available to them. So yeah, of course, the Estee Lauders and the L'Oreal's are going to come out with probably the first mega sustainable packaging that is biodegradable, blah, 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 because they can afford the 100,000 minimum orders, 10,000, whatever it is. Well, they can also afford the R&D to do it. Yeah. And until they do it, 
it's not going to happen necessarily. Yeah, that's a great point, Bradley. Yeah, it's, no, yeah. I agree. You ha- they have and to set packaging manufacturers out there. They're doing a lot of a lot of work in terms of new new materials that, that are biodegradable or or uh, compostable or and stuff like this. But like Yanina's saying, the MOQs are five, ten thousand, and yeah, small no, little ton over. You know, can't can't afford it. So right. Yeah, but you know, at least it's going the right direction. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I also have a question um, for you, Bradley, because I, you know, I know that like there was this trend or like well, a thing back, you know, like a few years ago or even a year ago, where a lot of smaller brands, like indie brands, were really promoting the idea of reusable, you know, containers or like you know just like the things they could do on their budget. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like yeah. if a brand's so small and all they can afford is saying, "Hey guys, like you know, we won't send." you the whole compact we'll send you the refill if that's all they can do and that's their contribution to sustainability like mm-hmm. i just wonder like you know from a branding perspective like how to make that so that it looks just as you know shiny and amazing to like a consumer as something like for example the you know like revlon comes out with like a giant campaign about yeah. you know sustainability like do you have any advice for those small brands that's really what i want to ask you is like how do they maximize their like you know the impact from the branding perspective well don't be afraid of it it's it's it is happening uh we had a conversation just the other day with a new zealand brand she's developed this line of cosmetics and everything are these real refillable pods and it's biodegradable and it's it's it was like amazing and we're also working another brand in australia and she's very much in this whole and her packaging too her whole all her ingredients everything it was like this movement from down under that's that's pretty cool like i hadn't i didn't realize it but they're very very conscious of it down there yeah and but i think um the pod thing and the refillable idea is here to stay i think it's only going to catch on more and more mm-hmm. i think the consumer is conscious about the amount of waste it is to to buy a whole nother bottle with a pump and everything else you see it in cleaning products already yeah you, you see it in a lot of different categories besides beauty and they um, don't have to the pack the, the refillable don't have to look awful, you know, they can be yeah. looking sexy and yeah. you know, that that's yeah. the thing. And and I don't know why a lot of people associate refillables with like ugh, you know, like cheap. ugly packaging. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah no, I mean we work with a we work with a fragrance brand, it's a three hundred fifty dollar fragrance, but they do refillables. Yeah. And it's this beautiful glass vial, it comes with a small little copper funnel that you can pour it in the thing it's beautiful wow and, it's very and well it, but done, it's yeah it's it's very very well done and see i'm all about it i'm all about the refillables because i'm one of those people that gets attached to things yeah. so it's like you know i was the kid that had her hondo cord for like you know into college like i yeah. got attached yeah. so you know it's I get it. I'm on board. And I think it's a, it's a great, you know, I think that in terms of sustainability is probably one of the better ideas that I've seen actually play out, you know? So one more for you. Um, Last week or a couple of weeks ago, whatever we were, we were looking at things and this, there's sort of this emerging trend now of when you buy products from different brands that you can get the normal packaging or the no frills packaging, you take the no frill option, you save five bucks and they're just going to ship you the product probably without a secondary carton. And I mean, if you're, if you're just buying a refill or buying another one to some brand you love, do you really need all that stuff? No. Yeah. So 
I think that's going to catch on too. I think you're going to find more brands doing that because, and, and actually I think COVID had a lot to do with this too. Yeah. You need to mention how much uh, rebranding, repackaging we're doing. Cause I think brands finally realized that they're shipping a lot of extra weight around the cost of materials is high. The waste is high. Yeah. And it's time to pivot and just streamline and minimize so that everybody saves money and time. I would actually, I would love Bradley if you guys could like, expand more on the COVID thing because I know like you know there's a lot that's changed and I'm, I'm I'm guessing from the branding side a lot you know a lot of different aspects have really evolved and and changed so like um you know what are some of the challenges that you guys have seen um with you know the pandemic and the way that people are buying things well you go ahead of course <laughs> well the thing is well number one is that um I would say the absolute number one is that the pandemic taught everybody, like especially in the beauty industry, that they really need to be more frugal and rethink their packaging and like less waste. The other thing is the challenge now with sampling. Um, As you know, how the sampling vials are just small and they create a lot of waste. So what do you yeah. do? Like what and what, how do how are we going to sample in stores now? That's that's still the biggest question. Yeah. Um, well, and sampling has always been a very expensive proposition, proposition for any brand. Yeah. Because to run the little packets and things like that, it's the you know the minimum quantities are super high. Hopefully, right. And a lot of trash. Yeah. The, you know, there's more and more. There's a brand we work with called Queen of Cups. They do this great lipstick wipe. Yeah. They develop their packaging is fully biodegradable, including the wipe. There's no plastic in it. Super, yeah. super cool. But the fact you can do that, you could take that same material and do little packets that are biodegradable. I think you're gone to something. I, I'm hoping that some manufacturer is going to realize that this, this is something important, that people mm-hmm. do need samples. And could start running lines, you know, kind of like when you go back to the beginning of like moo.com and people like this, you could run 50 business cards, right? For nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You, could start, you could send them a couple of gallons of product and they could just run a line of samples for you. And next thing you know, you can sample. Yeah. It, yeah. But that's what I was telling you earlier yeah. is that the manufacturers haven't caught on. I don't know. I, 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 I'm just really surprised that they haven't. Well, they might be trying to protect what they already have. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that's a good it's, point. It's yeah. completely simple. You know how it works. Yeah, I know. It's just yeah. like how in the beginning of uh, Quick Story, our first business cards in 1999 were printed on bamboo paper. And guess what? They were bought by a big conglomerate here in the U.S. It's a yeah. paper yeah, paper company. I don't want to mention who bought who, but yeah, they sell it. They basically killed them, but bamboo, you don't have to. It's a weed, it's a weed, and it's it grows so fast and it's so strong, and you don't have to chlorine the shit out of it to get it white. Bleach it. Or yeah. Bleach it, and um, so yeah. So they shelved it, and not until I would say three years ago they brought it back. It's starting to come back. It's starting to come back. But hey, listen, this is like, it took them about 20 years almost to figure out that 
Maybe bamboo paper is not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I finally caught up to common sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like that's a that's a really like a very big problem in so many industries. And I think, you know, Bradley, I think I agree with you in the sense that I think they try to protect what they know is already working. But yeah. it's almost, you know, but that's see, that's the thing. That's where I don't get it because it's like if you do it the right way and if you put the knowledge out there in the correct way and I guess we could say that's kind of part of branding you know I don't see why you could your consumers wouldn't find it easier to shift you know what I mean like just say yeah. like you know if you just give me the information as a consumer I'm gonna go along with it if I especially if I love the company you know so yeah but it, it just all gets political you know and yeah and we don't want to go there now but it I just feel <laughs> like it's it's like everything else big oil whatever but the, I think the companies and the brands that are the smart ones is, re, is when they realize they can actually do both and they can make a transition to something else and still win. Yeah. yeah. And, if they, and if they do it first, then they're ahead. So right. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's frustrating uh, from our end doing what we do that you, you can't like, we don't you know. have the right resources really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to, you know, I, I just want to thank you guys. I could honestly talk to you for like, I think years about this stuff. I really don't <laughs> understand do branding and I just think you're both so brilliant. And I, I thank you so much, first of all, for even making the time. And also I want to finish the episode by asking for some advice from you both, uh, you know, about anything branding related, anything related to like, you know, um, that small brands can benefit from, you know, things that little tips, if you have any, you know, or career advice. Do you want to go first? No, you go first. <laughs> no, you, you go first. Ladies first. I, I, I get a little bit emotional about this stuff, but brother is more. Uh, uh, I would say the one tip is, you know, it's a commitment and you got to be serious about it. And uh, it's scary, but it's also extremely rewarding. And ultimately, I think you just got to follow your heart and just do what you believe is right. And there are people out there who will respond to that and who will follow, but you, you've got to, you got to dedicate yourself to it. You got to put the time into it. It's, it's, it's like not a hobby. Else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a relationship, you know, you've got to invest the time to make something come of it. So that's what I'd say. Yeah. And my, my advice is, um, <laughs> and this might sound a little bit harsh, but don't ask your family about, what you're doing because they will only tell you what the positives you really need to look at what your true audience is and start to ask them of course your cousins and brothers and sisters are yeah that's great just you know keep on going they are afraid to probably give the true feedback but what a startup brand really needs to do is really finding a their white spot and really honestly just why are you doing this i mean we have started other companies as well and yeah. you know and the 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 reason you really have to figure or really be true to yourself to, and ask yourself why am i doing this mm -hmm. is this worth my time and if it is keep on going but then take the family and front equation out of it yeah, Completely. unless your family's like mine, where my mother criticizes, that's her afraid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but no, that's, I think that's one brilliant. last one last bit of that is like, yeah. don't ever let 
good become the the enemy of perfect because yeah. Wow. You, yeah. a lot of brands they spend a tremendous amount of time trying to get everything exactly right and it's not the competition's flying past them and I, I, that doesn't mean you cut the corners and you go cheap and anything else it just means move and get it out there get the real feedback that yeah. you're is talking and about that and then it iterates and move to the next one so yeah and the thing is too these days i mean 20 years ago it was not so easy to adjust because it was mostly print with web yeah. and social. social media you can you know instantly you can do it instantly like yeah. on you know you don't have to wait like six eight ten weeks or more yeah 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 that's true everything's at our fingertips now you know yeah. so mm-hmm. Well, that was, you know, thank you guys so much. And everyone listening, um, I'm going to definitely link um, everything about Skag's uh, Creative, but go to skagscreative.com, S-K-A-G-G-S creative.com and check out the site and learn more about Yonina and Bradley and the whole team. This has been such a pleasure chatting with both of you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. I'll be back next time. Thank you. Uh